Hello, this is Greg, also known as So Blazer, and I want to welcome you to the very first episode of the Super NES Podcast. I decided upon a very simple, direct name for this podcast. It's very direct and just kind of indicates directly what the podcast is going to be about. Um, I'm not calling this a number or anything because it is kind of an intro episode like a lot of other podcasts have done. So I don't want to give it a number episode to, to a podcast that's not talking about a game. Uh, I will talk about a game next time. I just wanted to spend some time on this intro podcast telling a little bit about my experiences in the history of Super NES and why I wanted to do a podcast about it. Uh, my favorite games, uh, some basic history and information about the system uh, for those of you out there who may not be too knowledgeable on it. Um, and a few other odds and ends, and also some uh, information as to how the, I'm um, thinking at least, how the format of the podcast is going to be going uh, from this point forward. Um, I do want to apologize uh, for, any, um, for any small hiccups or anything that you may notice. Uh, I'm still very, very new and experienced at doing this. I am going to do some editing with this with Audacity when I'm done, but I'm also, uh, I also think it's very true what Flack and others have said that you can probably spend three days going through like a half an hour of podcast material. So I don't want to be super, super nitpicky about this also. But I do want to try to at least get this out there and give some people an idea of what this podcast is going to be about. So having said that, um, let me start off by giving some basic information about the Super Nintendo, uh, the history, the background of it, and some other uh, tidbits and facts about it for those of you who may not be too fa- uh, too knowledgeable, familiar with the system. Um, the Super NES originally was conceived of by Nintendo in Japan back in 1989. Nintendo didn't feel that they had a really a serious need to upgrade the NES at that time. It was still going very strong. Um, they were still very, very dominant in Japan, and they, and they were more focused upon Japan at that time than they were in North America or the rest of the world. Uh, the first 16-bit system, the TurboGrafx, well, we know it's Trevor Graphic. It was saw. It looks like it was called the. Um, it's like it was called the Magic Engine uh, in Japan. Uh, was really not too much of a contender for them. The Genesis, however, was a different story. Uh, Genesis in North America. It was known as it was known as Mega Drive in the rest of the uh, rest of the world. So they started working upon a 16-bit Nintendo, and they released the Super Nintendo in Japan in, on November 21st, 1990. And they did not see a need to rush the system out for release in the rest of the world because the NES was still doing so strong. 1990 was the best year Nintendo had with the NES, as a matter of fact. There were a lot of great classic games that came out of the system that year, uh, the most famous of which, of course, being Super Mario Bros. 3. And with the system doing so well, and the Genesis um, just kind of very slowly taking off in North America, they didn't see a need to rush the Super NES uh, out to the rest of the world. But they finally released the Super NES in the United States on August 23rd, 1991 at the price of $200. And the system slowly got released to the rest of the world, Europe, and everywhere else uh, at various parts and phases during, during 1992. Um, the Super NES uh, was, had a very long life. It was finally discontinued in the United States officially on November 30th, 1999. And it did not get uh, discontinued in Japan until September of 2003. There was an estimated 780 games that came out for the Super NES in North America and the rest and the rest of the world outside of Japan. In Japan, that number is about double. Um, I say approximately 780 games because there's because there's some speculation debates to how what the actual title was. 
uh, for the number of games. By the way, I'm getting most of the information and facts from various sources, some gaming books I have, uh, various websites. I, 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 try, um, I tried to collaborate this as much as I could, trying to make sure I was giving some accurate and correct information out there. For those parts where I'm not really quite sure on what the uh, quote-unquote official answer is, I will make sure to hedge my bet a little bit in, in what I'm talking about. Um, the Super NES did very well, not as well as the NES did, but it, but it had very strong sales. It sold uh, about 49.10 million systems worldwide, and 23.35 million of those were in North and South America. Um, there were five games available for the system when it launched in, in, in North America in 1991. The packing game, of course, Super Mario World. In my mind, the best packing game, uh, bar none, for any, for any of the uh, console launches. Possible exception of the original Mario Brothers for the NES, but it's a very, very good game. To this day, Super Mario World is still my favorite Mario game. Uh, as, far as, as far as the classic platformers go. Uh, other games available to launch were F-Zero, Pilot Wings, SimCity, and Gradius 3, uh, all four of which are very good games, again, like in my opinion. Um, I think this is probably the strongest launch of games for uh, a console. Uh, there are other consoles that launched with more games, but I think the overall sheer quality and performance of these games really speak strongly about the system and how to get it off to a good start. Um, and there were a lot of great games that came up with the system like in the months that followed. Um, one of the major coups to the system the following year, in fact, was getting the first console version of Street Fighter 2, which really helped to sell the system and was a very strong seller. Um, as, uh, like as time passed, Nintendo relaxed their, should relax their uh, policy. They've been very strict with their policy about the NES and third-party companies um, some of that was changed immediately when the Super Mario was launched. Others of it was changed slowly as time passed. Uh, they no longer, um, you know, for example, they no longer limited a company to releasing five games a year uh, with the Super NES. Um, they, they did not force a company to have a game exclusive only to the Super Nintendo. And after the um, infamous um, uh, Kong congressional hearings in 1993, uh, and the establishment of the ESRB, they decided that they no longer had to censor their games. So a lot of changes happened for Nintendo during the, during the early mid-90s when the Super NES was their primary gaming system. Uh, the most successful game that was not a pack-in, well, not a pack-in game originally, Super Mario World was the most distributed game in the world, but the, but the, but the best game as far as, as far as an individual selling game was Donkey Kong Country in 1994. That really helped breathe new life in the system. Uh, it brought Rare to prominence as, as a very strong publisher um, of games, producer of games also for themselves, and, and about 9 million copies of that game sold uh, worldwide. Um, the Super Nintendo was redesigned in October 1997, much like the NES had been uh, late in its life. Uh, into the Super NES 2 model. It was just basically a smaller, a, a smaller more cost-effective version, uh, version of the system that had a couple of the extra features uh, cut out. Um, at the time the Super NES came out, it had a pretty um, impressive array of options for being able to hook the system up to your TV set. You could have either RF, S-Video, RG Output, or Composite. Uh, I know I used mine for F, like RF for most of the lifetime that I had it, and that was you know, very, very good. Um, 
with a strong catalog of games that came out, such as, uh, such as Donkey Kong Country in 1994, uh, the Super NES enjoyed life for many years after Sega was shifting, the, the shifting their emphasis away from Genesis onto their add-ons and to the Saturn. The very last game for the Super NES was a first-party game, curiously enough. Usually the last game coming out for the system is by a third, third party, but the last game that came out for the Super NES in North America was uh, Kirby's Dreamland 3 in November 1997. Uh, the last game for Japan came out in 2000. So, depending upon how you look at it, the system was around for either six years or nine years if you look at North America versus uh, Japan. So, one of the curious uh, tidbits about the design uh, of the system um, was that the system was purposely not given a uh, flat top. Uh, it, it's flat top, it, it, it's very uh, broken up with the buttons and the curves of it. This was because apparently that Nintendo received a lot of complaints over the years with the NES about people putting drinks and stuff on top of it and then spilling it and causing a mess and damaging the system, that kind of stuff. So they purposely designed the Super NES to prevent that from happening. Um, personally, I don't like how the Super NES looks. It's probably one of my ugliest consoles. Uh, it definitely would be up in the top five. It just looks very blockish and ugly and, and not good to look at at all when you compare it to the, uh, the sleek lines that the Genesis had in both models, for example, like in the sheer black plastic. That uh, purple, bluish plastic mold with those large, big buttons just does not look attractive at all. And there's something else that also happened uh, during the, as the years passed that made the Super NES system even less attractive. Um, it, it's a common, it's a commonly known defect that the plastic will yellow over time, and depending upon when the molds of the various parts of the system were made, parts of it can yellow and other parts of it cannot yellow at all. Uh, the most likely explanation I've seen uh, from talking to people and looking around online is that apparently this is due to the fact that the, uh, the factory that made the plastic uh, had a, had some errors in the mix of making the plastic with the chemicals and the air and that kind of stuff, which. Uh, which caused basically uh, bad plastic, and that plastic would oxidize as, as time passed, just like exposure to the air. Uh, sunlight, cigarette smoke, not a factor like at all into it. I can personally testify to that myself. Uh, my system was not in the sun. My system my, was nowhere near a smoker, but it still yelled over time. So this seemed like the most likely explanation I've seen um, as to why the system did that. Um, however, physically, it was a very solid, sturdy system. I, I, I knocked mine over on the ground several times, and, and, and it always seemed a very durable, rough system. Uh, Nintendo, you know, Nintendo learned a lesson, I think, from the problems they had with the NES uh, original deck design and improved upon that considerably. So the biggest game that usually was available was 32 megabytes in size on the cartridge. Uh, there were two games that were larger than that to 48 megabytes. Uh, Tales of Fantasia and Star Ocean, but both, but both those games were uh, Japan releases only. So we never saw those uh, here in the U.S. There were many adapters that came out with the system during the course of its life. One of the most famous is probably the Super Game Boy, which allowed you to play uh, Game Boy, Game Boy Pocket, and Game Boy... Well, Game Boy Pocket is basically Game Boy games, but, but black and white Game Boy games and Game Boy Color games uh, through Super NES on a big screen television set. Uh, and depending upon the game, there were certain features that could also be added onto it as well. Uh, very, very popular add-on. Uh, there was also a mouse that was used for a few games. Uh, there was a light gun, uh, trying to repeat the success that they had with the NES Zapper. The Super Scope 6 was available for the Super NES. Uh, there was a modified version of the Classic Advantage that was available for the Super NES. 
there's also a uh, multiplayer tap available for to play four-player games like like Barman, for example. Um, and the system, like the system, had a very uh, successful successful run during the, as I mentioned before, during the early to mid '90s. There's a lot of debate as to exactly how popular the system was uh, via via the Genesis. Uh, I cannot find any really definitive source or information as to which system was popular or uh, popular in the long run or which system sold more uh, one year versus another. Those figures all seem to be up in the air. The best information I can find seems to indicate that the Super Nintendo did not, did not catch up the Genesis in, in exceeding sales on the, on the system until, until 1994 when Donkey Kong Country came out. But again, like I said, I've seen various information on here about this, so I don't really know about the answer to that. Um, for example, Nintendo has claimed that the Super NES ultimately sold more, so, so more than, the, than the Genesis. This is being disputed by other people who have like, done independent research on the matter, so I really don't know what the correct answer is about that, but it was a very, very popular system. Uh, which is why I was surprised there hasn't been a Super NES dedicated podcast out to this point. Uh, I... Uh, so I'll get into that more later on. I'm going to talk about some of my motivations for doing the podcast. Um, there was basically ups and downs as far as the systems went. Usually, you know, usually, usually there was a killer game that came out with the system that would cause sales of it to spike for, uh, for like a period or another. Uh, like I said, for example, that that, that Super Ants the first system to have a console release of Street Fighter Two. And then after that, uh, Sega released a Song of the Hedgehog, which is very popular. And... And Nintendo also insisted upon Mortal Kombat being censored on Super NES, which really hurt its sales on that system versus Genesis. But then you also had uh, 1994, as I said, your early Donkey Kong Country was a very, very popular game at a time when just Sega was shifting their focus away from the Genesis more onto 32X and the, like the Sega CD. There was plans to do a CD add-on to the Super NES, as you may know about. There were originally talks between two different companies to try to get a CD add-on out for the system. Uh, originally, those talks were with Sony, which eventually broke down, and then the talks later on were, were Philips. Um, nothing eventually ever came of it. Um, for those of you who have a Super NES system, the plan was to hook the CD onto the uh, extension port on the, bottom of the, on the bottom of the console. That port was never ended up using like, for anything. So, um, it was a, um, so the Super NES took a, did not take very long before it was emulated, and there were several years after the, um, several years after the system was, came out, that the first emulators came out, by the late 90s, there were a couple of decent emulators out there for the system. Um, as I've said before in the past, um, if you, if you know anything about me, like my poster or whatnot, I'm more of a gamer than a collector. Uh, I have nothing against collectors. I admire anybody who wants to do collecting. Um, just money for me is very, very tight. I don't have the money resources to really, to really spend to get all those consoles or consoles that I would want. And as long as I play the game accurately, I'm pretty happy. So I use emulation for about 99% like my gaming needs, and, and that includes the Super NES. Uh, I will be playing emulation for the Super NES games I cover on this podcast. Uh, but I will certainly try to give as much information as I can if I know about anything going on with actually playing the game or any issues with doing the game on a real system. Uh, emulation, I think, would also give the people out there an easier, an easier chance to follow along with the game, like they want to try the game out that I'm covering like a particular podcast. So emulators, that you may know, fall into two different categories. Uh, there is the there is the more um, uh, user-friendly interface model in which they try to stress to make the gameplay as um, as fun and enjoyable as they can and kind of skimp 
or cut corners on some of the sheer accuracy of the system. And, and, and there's also the emulators that fall into the uh, technical camp. And we're just trying to be as technical and, and, and close-minded on, on the system as possible, in this case Super NES, and try to, 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 try to strive for a real realism uh, sense with playing the games. Uh, there's three popular emulators out there, to, like the Super NES. The first one is uh, ZSNES, which is the oldest of the emulators. It's not currently supported as far as I can tell. I've not seen an update for the system uh, system emulator for a long time, and I believe it's dead. Um, having said that, the emulator is your emulator of choice if you have an older system, uh, for example, FLAC out there, um, uh, or FERG, I suppose, so like at the older computers. So if it's like an older system, uh, this is the emulator that you're probably gonna, that you're probably going to want to use. It's very simple. It does the job well enough for most games. Um, my emulator of choice these days, however, uh, is the one called SNES-9X. It's still a supported emulator. It's very quick to pick up, very, very nice, very easy to use, good options. Um, and then there's also a newer emulator out there which falls in that technical camp I was talking about earlier, uh, which is called HIGAN, H-I-G-A-N. Uh, uh, I won't give links to these emulators, um, but the emulators can be very easily found uh, like anywhere like online. Um, Hygen's a very, very good emulator. Like I said, it stresses for the more technical correct side of the system. Um, so you have to have a very good system to be able to run it. Uh, the main reason I don't use this emulator is because that with a uh, with a, with Super NES 9X, I'm able to adjust the the display options to have a nice, very large, crisp widescreen picture on the widescreen monitor. Uh, whereas I can't get that with Hygen. I talked to the author about that, and basically it boils down to, like I said earlier, technical reasons. He's trying to be as accurate as possible, which means that the certain widescreen support and the options I like using to enhance to enhance my game playing versus emulation is not really available for this. So, having said that, there are some games that run a lot better or a lot better on Hygen as opposed to anywhere else, or will only run on Hygen. Uh, the most famous example that comes to mind right now for me is Super Mario RPG. So if I'm running a game on Hygen as opposed to Super NES 9X, I will say so when I'm covering the game, uh, like in the podcast. Uh, I do use a real controller for my emulation. Uh, I have a USB adapter for it. The controller is a very interesting design. Um, it, you can really see the evolution of, con uh, of consoles' controllers as the years have passed. We started off with a very simple Atari 2600 joystick, one button, and then you got up to the... Um, the, the ColecoVision and Television, if you don't count the keypad buttons, I uh, had two or four buttons. And so by this point, you're really starting to see that people are starting to get more into the comfortable with the systems. They are definitely getting more familiar with being able to handle complicated controllers. I've seen various explanations on, uh, online as to why a Super NES uh, controller looks the way it does. One, one popular theory is that they want uh, to the Nintendo one upstage Sega. Since Genesis had three buttons, they wanted to make sure they had at least four on the Super NES. I've also seen explanations that they wanted to try to have a controller that would make the porting of arcade games uh, easy on the system, like for, like for example Street Fighter 2, which was originally released on, on Super NES first compared to anywhere else. Um, the shoulder buttons was first introduced with the Super NES controller, uh, more commonly known as trigger buttons. Uh, like every modern controller these days has them, at least two. Uh, this is the first introduced to Super NES. I guess the design thinking was that your fingers are going to be there anyway, why not have buttons there? So, this, so altogether, the Super NES controller has a total of eight buttons. Uh, there's four main buttons, 
uh, the X, Y, A, B. There's the two shorter buttons, marked as L and R, and there's the select and start. It's very similar in design to the NES controller, just simply more comfortable to hold because it's got the curved design to it and it's got the extra buttons on it. Uh, in my mind, the Super NES is one of the best controllers that has been released bar none. It's a very comfortable, lightweight, easy to use controller, uh, durable, tough. Uh, I've never had any problems with problems of mine like over the years, and it's a very, uh, very flexible and easy to use, like an easy to use controller, regardless of what kind of game that you're playing. Uh, the Super NES had a very rich library. There were a lot of games that came out for it of any kind of category or group that you're looking for. Um, the probably the three types of games that had the most success on the Super NES would be RPGs, of course. Um, the, the Super NES, I consider had the richest li console library of Japanese-style RPGs compared to the system, compared, uh, uh, except for the PlayStation. A lot of great RPGs uh, came out with the system. Uh, the system, I think, also did an excellent job with strategy and simulation games. Uh, there were a lot of those available on the, on the system, some of, them, some, of them from Ko some, some of them from the company of Koei. Others, other games ports to PC games, such as the... Um, Lemmings and uh, Populous and Sim City and Sim Earth, and the system was very good for that because of its design. And I also think that side-scrolling action games, uh, like, were done very well in the system. Not just simply platformers, but also but also side-scrolling games like, like Super Castlevania IV, uh, Gradius III, Turtles IV. Uh, like any game that basically had you going left or right, uh, the system did a very good job of. I probably should spend some time. Uh, speaking about the process of being able to handle those games, I probably should spend some time talking about some of the advantages and disadvantages of Super NES versus, versus, versus Genesis, because I really do like Genesis. I have nothing against Genesis. I think it's a very good system. It likes very, the good, with some very good games to it. Um, having said that, there are certain things that the Super NES did a better job of than Genesis, and there are certain things that Genesis, Genesis did a better job at. Uh, um, as you may know, the Super NES had a slower processor than, than Genesis did. Probably this is because that the console was designed more for the Japanese gamer mind. Uh, the, the heavier processor was needed for, for RPGs and strategy, strategy and simulation games and that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas Genesis is a much faster processor. It really shows its advantages with something like Sonic the Hedgehog, like for example. Um, the graphics, however, in the Super NES are a little bit better. So particularly, particularly when you have games that, are, games that utilize Mode 7, which is a pseudo 3D effect that Nintendo really pushed heavily in most of their games. And they made sure the early games, like Super Mario World, really showed off this Mode 7 effect to like the full advantage. Uh, the sound was very good on both systems. The Genesis had the ability to be able to do some very um, synth-based sounds. So it's a very... Uh, heavy metal type hard rock kind of music sounds very good in the system. The Super NES process sound process is more geared toward orchestral sounds, uh, rich, rich, vivid orchestra sounding, like sounding music, music soundtracks. And there's some excellent musical soundtracks like the system, uh, like the games that came out for it. So um, I was lucky enough as a kid to uh, have a friend who had Genesis, whereas I had Super NES. We'd often swap off our systems with one another for a week or whatnot. So I was able to get the best of both worlds. I was able to enjoy the Super NES uh, by owning the system and the games, and I was also able to experience the best games, the best, the best games that the Genesis had to offer. So Super NES holds a special place in my heart, partly because I was really a big, big fan of the NES as a kid. Uh, the NES was my favorite system. 
I was born in 1976, I'm 38 years old. So I was 15 when the Super NES came out, and that's really like a prime gaming age, I think, as far as being able to, to, to experience the rich library that the system had. And I really wanted one. So I was saving up money for a while from various sources, uh, allowance and doing work here and there, like where I could, and, that, and birthday money and that kind of stuff. And the Super NES was the very first major purchase I did on my own. By Christmas of that year, 1991, I had scripted and saved and become up with $250. So um, my parents took the money and they used the money to purchase for me a Super NES, which on discount um, uh, at a store called Child's Ward, uh, no longer around, for $180. And they also picked up a game that was on a list I'd given them of four or five games I wanted for the system. Um, and they got me... Final Fantasy 2, which is also known more commonly these days as Final Fantasy 4. It was just called Final Fantasy 2 when it came out originally for the Super NES in the States. $70. To this day, that's the most expensive uh, game I've ever bought with like, my money before. Uh, I never paid more than 70 bucks for a game, so... <laughs> uh, to this day, it still holds a special place in my heart for that reason alone. But I did not regret buying either that game or the system. I was blown away by both, by both Super Mario World and Final Fantasy 2. Uh, wonderful graphics, rich, deep gameplay in both games, beautiful musical soundtracks, uh, really fun, engaging gameplay. Uh, and, and as I said, 1992 came out with many, many good games for the system. So I really, I really enjoyed playing the Super NES for many, many years. It was my primary go-to system. I don't think it really got replaced my, as my go-to system until I finally picked up a PlayStation uh, in 1997 when another Final Fantasy game, Final Fantasy VII in this case, came out. So well, my Super NES was still hooked up and still being used as late as 2003 before finally changed over to emulation, to, to emulation totally for it. So uh, my personal favorite top 10 games for the system, probably a lot of the games that other people out there have, have up there on their top 10. Uh, Super Castlevania IV, I have a story, story about this game I'll mention here in a moment. Uh, Wonderful game. To this day, still my favorite game in the Castlevania series. Uh, Super Mario World, like I already mentioned, the packing game, my favorite Mario game. Contra 3, uh, The Alien Wars, an excellent addition to the Contra series, uh, building upon the Contra games that come out earlier on, on the NES. Uh, Chrono Trigger, late game in the Super NES. Very wonderful game, really showing off what, what, what people could do for the system, uh, and a really rich, fun RPG. Uh, Actorizer, very unique uh, game uh, combining action and simulation elements. Beautiful graphics, great soundtrack, a blast to play. Final Fantasy IV, uh, plus also Final Fantasy VI are, are both excellent Final Fantasy games, my two favorite in the, in the series and wonderful games. Super Metroid, a uh, great addition over the classic Metroid, a very wonderful game. Uh, Super Mario RPG, a, a, a wonderful mix between Nintendo and, and, um, and Squaresoft. Uh, to be able to make a Mario RPG-based game. Really, really fun. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time. Excellent port of the, of the, uh, of the arcade game by Konami. So I said I had a story about Super Castlevania 4. And that story goes back to when I had just gotten the system uh, for Christmas, like I said. Um, my birthday falls on February 26th. So two months after getting the system, I turned 16, and it was not a very good birthday for me because um, I was scheduled to have my wisdom teeth taken out. Um, I went to school in New Hampshire, where it was customary for us to have the last week of February off, always for winter break, uh, for, the, for like the school system that I was in there for, and then we'd also have another break the last week of April for spring break. 
Um, so I always had my birthday off from school. Anyway, my parents had scheduled the wisdom teeth procedure to be done during that week of February when I was out of school. So I, it, it had to be done because I was getting braces and the wisdom teeth had to come out first, obviously. Um, but the doctor said later on that it, my case was one of the worst cases he had he'd ever seen before for like wisdom teeth. Uh, all four of my teeth were impacted. So they knocked me out and they had to spend three hours going in there breaking the teeth up first so they could get the pieces out. Needless to say, when I woke up, I was not a very happy camper. Um, I was in a lot of pain. I was in a lot of, a lot of discomfort. Uh, there was a lot of bleeding going on for like a couple of days afterwards. I couldn't eat salt food all week. I was, basically in, I was basically laid up in bed all week feeling completely in pain and miserable despite the painkillers I was on. And my mom had to attend to me pretty much to make sure I was okay. So I was not in a very good mood to begin with. Um, but my parents um, were nice enough to give me my birthday gift a couple of days early, which was Super Castlevania 4. And they also, like they also, and they also went to a video store and picked up a, a, couple, a couple of Super NES games like me to, uh, to rent for the week. Um, one of my favorites was Street Fighter 2, which was a brand new game at that point. I spent most of the week, like I said, in bed, hacking away on either Super Castlevania 4 or Street Fighter 2. Um, Super Castlevania 4, I really, really loved. Uh, it really made that week go by at a much more bearable pace. I thought the difficulty of the game was just perfect. It wasn't too difficult. It wasn't too easy. Uh, it was a very fun romp going through the game, uh, just being mesmerized by the very rich orchestral soundtrack the game has and the wonderful graphics, and plus the fun gameplay, um, being able to use the whip in all those directions and just to find the boss fights and secret to find that kind of stuff. So Super Castlevania 4 has its place in my heart, particularly for that, uh, because it helped me to get through that miserable week, and it also helped reinforce just my total love for Super NES. So when I started getting into listening to podcasts back in uh, March, once I got my new job, I started listening to a whole bunch of classic uh, console and classic computer uh, podcasts, and there's a, and there's a lot of very very good podcasts out there. Um, I, um, I definitely am, am taking part of this podcast from some of the, my favorite podcasts out there to try to make a format presentation that I think would be easy for me and also be enjoyable for our listeners out there. Uh, but I discovered for some reason there was not a dedicated podcast to Super NDS like there was, super, like there was a dedicated podcast to everything else out there it seems like. The Atari 2600, the Intellivision, the ColecoVision, the, the, the Apple computer, the Atari computers, um, the Genesis, uh, the NDS, the Game Boy, they all seem to have dedicated podcasts um there were there's been individual episodes of course a top 10 list and what have you would title super nes but not really a podcast in, in and of itself so after having and hauling it for a while i decided to throw my hat into the ring so to say and try to do a weekly super nes podcast so um like i said i'm going to try to be moaning this podcast upon some of the best ones out there i think uh taking bits from um, Ferg's excellent Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, uh, the No Quarter podcast out there, the Intellivisionaries, um, just kind of taking a little bit from, from each of them that I think um, would make a very effective style of this. I'm going to try to make this a weekly podcast. There may be some weeks uh, where, where, where I won't be able to do that. For example, I'm going to be on vacation next week, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to do my first game next week, uh, but if not next week, definitely the week after that. Um, so I am going to try to do this on a weekly basis. I'm going to probably cover one game each podcast, maybe two, if the first game is not all that good or can't find too much information about it, uh, like for some reason. 
The format I have in mind right now is going to be five parts as far as talking about the game in the podcast. The first part is going to be the intro. I'm going to talk about uh, some basic history about the game, when it came out, who made it, uh, the reception it got upon its release, uh, that kind of stuff. Then I'm going to talk about the gameplay, uh, go through a detailed discussion like about the game, the pros and cons of it. Then I'm going to look online at Amazon and eBay to give you some idea of the prices for the game out there, for the collectors out there who may be interested in picking up the game like for their own collection. Then I'm going to have a miscellaneous category. I'm kind of using this as my catch-all safety trap to try to cover anything else that may not be uh, fit very well into the rest of the podcast. And then finally, the rating. I'm going to give it a rating on a scale of 1 to 10. Um, and talk about it then, but just basically how, why I think it gets that rating and which kind of gamer I think would best enjoy the game out there. Because I'm sure there are going to be some games that I'm not going to care for that much, but I certainly can recommend to other people. Um, one of the reasons I'm looking, I, I want to do this podcast, I'm looking forward to this podcast, is the Super NES system has such a large library that even I have not played other games in the system. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to finding a lot of hidden gems out there and trying to see what other games are very, very good for the system that, that may have gotten uh, missed or ignored when they first came out. So having said that, uh, I know my first game that I'm going to cover in episode one uh, in a week or two is going to be, um, of course, Soul Blazer. I've used the name for my online identification uh, on most sites online for many, many years. I figure it's very fitting that I cover that game first uh, uh, with my first numbered episode of the podcast. After that, I'm open to suggestions. I have some uh, games already recommended to me by some other people out there. And if you have a game out there that you'd like me to cover, by all means, please let me know. Um, I'll get my contact, contact information like at the end of the podcast. Um, I will try to favor games that are a little bit lesser known and, and, uh, and uh, more obscure games in the system. If somebody wants me to cover a popular game for the system, I have no problem doing that. I'm not going to rule them out. I just want to try to focus upon, if I can some of the more obscure games out there first and just see how, like, how those things go as far as carving them, uh, carving them like the games. Having said that, I'm also I'm still actively looking for somebody to hopefully uh, be, be interested and willing to co-host this podcast with me. Um, as I said before, I'm still a very inexperienced, uh, wet behind the years, raw podcaster. So I appreciate you hanging out with me and just being, uh, like, just going with me on this. I'm not going to use a script. I'm just going to simply go off my outline notes that I have on here. So um, I, I really would like to find somebody who can help me uh, complement my strong points and help to smooth out my weak points of doing this podcast. Um, Willie, also known as Arcade USA, has been very, very helpful and very encouraging to me as far as doing this podcast. And he's already suggested a couple people to me who I've reached out to to, to see them may be interested. So hopefully at some point in the future, I may be adding uh, somebody else to a uh, call with the podcast with me. Um, if you're interested... Uh, I don't care if you have no. I don't care if you have no podcast experience like I do. Um, I'm very interested in hearing from you if you're if you may be interested. Um, so having said that, uh, I think I'm going to wrap this up for this intro episode. I appreciate you bearing here with me on this one. Um, I want to give special thanks to, like I said, Willie before, who's been very encouraging and very helpful to me uh, with, with like mentioning this in his a, a weekly uh, weekly uh, YouTube show and for helping me get in touch with a couple people and maybe you're interested in co-hosting the podcast with me. Uh, he's also agreed to put together a, a logo for me, so I'm going to be using that for my future podcast episodes. 
I also want to give a special thank you to Nurmix, uh, one of the uh, co-hosts on the television Aries. Uh, he's also been very supportive and he's also agreed very graciously to put together an intro and closing uh, music for me, uh, which I will be using in future episodes of the podcast. I also want to particularly give a special thank you to Ferg, the target of 2500 Game by Game podcast, who's been super, super uh, supportive and encouraging. Really, I can't say enough about those three guys I just mentioned. As fellow podcasters, I really admire and look up to their podcasts. They've been a big source of encouragement and inspiration for me, and they've really encouraged me to finally get up my butt and get this podcast going. So I simply cannot say enough kind things and gracious, gracious uh, uh, thank yous to those three guys for their support and, and well wishes like this podcast. Um, I also want to thank everybody else on Ontario Age who's been very supportive of me with like this podcast. And by all means, I want to hear feedback. Um, you can reach me um, by Atari Age by sending me a private message, message on there or by posting a note in a thread I'm going to have going up pretty soon. You can reach me on my personal email at gpolander at yahoo.com. Uh, for the time being, I'm going to be hosting this on Podomatic. I will be, I will be getting um, more sources of this uploaded as the podcast gets going. I'm definitely going to try to get this on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm going to try to get it on a, a major network like, a, a, like Virtual Junkies or Throwback Network to, to get the podcast, the podcast out there more. I may uh, change the podcast over to Linksit, um, sorry, uh, to Lipson later on. Um, but the time being, I will have this on Podomatic. Uh, I will get a, I will get a Facebook page going. I don't use Twitter, I'm afraid. My my smartphone is not that good for that. Um, but I definitely will get a Facebook page uh, uh, up there for this uh, very short, shortly. So, um, like I said, uh, please feel free to give me your comments, suggestions, uh, games, you know, games that you'd like me to cover. Uh, personal favorites of yours, or or something out there you've always been, something out there that you've always been interested in. Uh, I would be very happy to take your suggestions and comments and try to accommodate as many of them as I can. Um, and like I said, if you're interested in doing um, a co-host with me on either permanent basis or maybe just on a one or two episode basis, uh, depending upon the game we're talking about, if it's a favorite game of yours or whatnot, uh, by all means, please get in touch with me. Um, so, uh, once again, I appreciate, I appreciate you listening, uh, listening to this very first intro episode of the Super NES Podcast. And best wishes to you, and, and I hope this finds you good health, and have a good day.